0: Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to a Listen to Learn episode of the Share Life Podcast. I'm Jason Scott Montoya, and I'm here with Jason Long. Jason, say hello.
1: Hello. Right. It's good to see everybody.
0: Um This uh, Jason was on the first episode of the podcast, and he is probably the most popular uh, visitor as this is, I think, his fourth appearance on the Share Life podcast. So thank you, Jason, for all your contributions.
1: (laughs) And thank you so much for having me on this many
0: times. (laughs) Uh, We've talked about a range of topics, but today we're going to talk about his most recent experience, um, and the the title of, of this talk is called Scaling Yourself. And uh, I asked Jason, we recently got together at some Korean barbecue, and asked him if he would join the podcast to share about this particular experience where he was brought in as the CEO of this established, broken company, uh, much different than the small businesses he had run and operated um, before that, and uh, and went through this experience and eventually selling it for $14 million. So I want him to talk about that experience, what he learned along the way, and, and how he scaled himself up. Uh, to make that prop, uh, that process possible. So Jason, tell us about you. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how that uh, led up to this business leadership role.
1: All right. Uh, so my name is Jason Long. Uh, I've been an agency owner for about, it says 20 years in there, but it's coming up on 25 years. Uh, I've got, uh, say I founded more than 10 businesses, something like, I think I added up the other day, like 15 businesses now, Uh, And then about three and a half years ago, three, three and a half years ago, I got a call from a private equity group to come in and be a professional CEO doing a turnaround project on one of their their failing assets. And uh, that was a a big difference, uh, a big uh, change for me. Uh, At first, I actually said no to the deal. But Mm -hmm. uh, after thinking about it, and also with the fact that COVID was coming in, I decided to take it. Uh, let's see. So other what, things not me. Um, yes.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, did did the did the did the lead come in before COVID, when it COVID came, was becoming prominent, or after it? Are, it was already prominent.
1: It came in originally in 2019. the The way that I got connected to this group was really um, extremely serendipitous. Uh, lucky, I guess, would <laughs> may, maybe be the better word. In early 2019, I want to say it was January of 2019, January 2nd of 2019, uh, I had been doing a lot of content about building, scaling, growing SaaS businesses, uh, software as a service businesses, and January 2nd, something happened with Google, and we were ranking number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, and number seven on all sorts of keywords having to do with SaaS, just for one day. Uh, our normal hits on that site at that time was somewhere around 4,000, 4,500 unique viewers per month. That particular, particular day we had somewhere in the range of 8,000 viewers. So we just were ranking number one for everything. And one of the people that called us that day, uh, was a gentleman looking to build something that I actually shot down. Uh, he called me up and it was, it was, it's actually a really, really funny (laughs) story he called me up and he was like, "I want. To, I have this idea for this thing. I want you guys to build it." And I was like, "Cool. You yeah, know, well, tell me what it is. We only really build stuff that's going to make money. And if if your idea is not a good idea at that company, we don't build it. Uh, you know, the last thing we want at that at JH Media Group is to build something that's not going to work that we know is not going to work for, uh, right out the gate, and then the the the, the uh, purchaser will come back later and be upset or whatever. And so we don't do that." And so the idea he had was for a virtual high school graduation. And I remember so clearly telling him the only way this is ever going to work is if there is a worldwide pandemic that shuts down the entire world. Because high school graduation is the only thing everybody, like the whole family shows up for, for so many families.
2: Yeah. I,
1: I, how am I supposed to know?
2: You know, like that's... <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: uh, anyway, I told him we weren't going to build it. And then he came to me with another idea, and I, I didn't like that idea either, and I was like, no, nah, man, I, I don't think you're going to make any money. I, we're not going to build that. And then he came to me with this, this third idea, and it was, it was, a, it was a private equity-focused fo- equity tool that he really, really knew a lot about. And so I started asking him about what he did and how he did it, because he'd been, been kind of secretive before, at that point, he said, you know, you've, you've looked out for our, our, our best interests for months now as I've been pitching these ideas and shooting them down. Okay. And so I'm just going to tell you, I'm a, I'm a general partner or, or a GP at a, at a mid-sized private equity firm. And the reason mm-hmm. I know a lot about this tool is because, you know, I'm on the finance side and that's what this tool was, and he was in charge of that piece. And so that was how we kind of got started talking about his role in private equity And it was a few months later that he called me and he said look you know we've been we've been working together now for a while which which we had on that other project and uh he said we have an asset that that we purchased that's not doing great and i was wondering if you would come in and take a look at it and let me know what you think and so i consulted on that uh on that asset for a while and then about see um march of 2021 so this was the 2020 sorry so this was the following year they called me up and they said hey are you interested in, in um, taking a stab at leading that company? And, and at that time, by the way, this was a, a business unit, a much larger business that they wanted to stabilize, spin off and sell. Yeah. And uh, at first I said no, but COVID was coming in. There was a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen. Uh, they made me a really good offer and, um, and I wanted to learn. I wanted to yeah. learn how they how they did things in private equity, and and I was able to step away from my portfolio. So I, uh, I stepped up and I took it.
0: Wow! So did you know the hornet's nest you were stepping into at that point?
1: Man, I had no idea. I I yeah, actually this business had <laughs> some serious problems. So yeah, this company had let's see, I'm gonna read it off here: the worst reputation in the industry. We were losing fifteen to twenty percent of customers. Every year for the last seven years, that was one to two million ARR or annual recurring revenue per year. We had a product that that was – I spent hours and hours and hours trying to figure out how to learn this thing. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, It was was a product that was 30 years old and had never once had a designer work on it. So in my opinion, it was an unusable product without substantial training. Um, System architecture was more than 20 years old the company had no no branding it had no website it had the, the company name sounded like an internet service provider you couldn't tell what it did we had no sales team we had no marketing team we had no marketing <clears throat> we, had, we had millions of dollars in aged accounts receivable um, and it would take it would take 6 weeks for a from the time a customer asked us for for new work for us to actually get them a contract and the biggest thing is that when I when I started interviewing people asking them what the company did nobody could give me a clear answer and yeah. that was probably the biggest biggest red flag in the whole thing it was it was a company that was probably 6 months to a year from total failure
0: so what if someone's in that spot now what do you uh <laughs> what do you say to them
1: good luck <laughs> good luck it it was Th- this is something that took me three years, at, at two of the two two and a half years at eighty hours a week to to put together, and and to some extent, I was still lucky to be able to get it done. Oh, oh you know what? Actually, something that's not on here: this company was losing between two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand dollars per month when I got the business. When we sold the business, we were cash flow neutral.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: it was it was a substantial how, turnaround. What,
0: what period of time? Three oh. years. Three years, yeah,
1: three years. Although we cut most of it, most of it was cut at the end of the second year when a number of contracts uh, terminated, and uh, which we did not renew, and that that were just eating eating a ton of our money. We had we made a number of cuts. Um, it was unfortunate we had to do that, but that's you know the company was going to go under otherwise. And um, yeah, and, and tell us that about was,
0: the the backstory here in terms of. Like you were the, you were the Hail Mary here um, with all the other people they had brought in and had run away screaming, right?
1: So I was the, I, of within this the greater group, which was, it was, a, it was a big company and this was a, a subunit. Uh, for the bigger company, I, I was the sixth CEO in six years to come in for the, overseeing this particular subgroup, right? Like there were six CEOs in six years. I think of the bigger group, six CEOs over six years of that bigger group, who then oversaw that smaller group. I was the first leader that I know of that just took over that smaller group. And so people were just seeing this this revolving door of CEOs coming and going uh, that really, um, in my opinion, were making a lot of mistakes leading the, the
0: organization. Yeah, which just compounded it when you arrived, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, by, by the time I got there, um, people, people there was a big... Um, there was no trust in leadership. People, yeah. you know, when I came in, people were like, all right, great. Yep. Another leader. I'll see you. See your way out the door in another six months. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, fortunately, I was able to, to not do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're a responsible type of person. Um, how does the stress of that, like you're thinking how it ought to be done, and it's obviously a disaster. How do you handle the stress of that situation?
1: This this may have been one of the biggest ways that I changed as a leader going through all of this. Um, you know, actually, I have a couple slides here. Yeah. I went into this as a, an experienced operations-focused entrepreneur. I came out as a professional CEO. And part of this was when I came, when I came in, I was used to having big emotional connection to my business mm. and when i left i had an emotional connection to the people but not so much to the business i, I got i think maybe that was actually what i learned the most about private equity is mm. i got to see how how they look at business so much more clinically than than most entrepreneurs do because entrepreneurs have this this it's like love of their business. You know, they, they, they're in it. They they're, they're they're are. Doing it. Would you they're say
0: operating. They, them and the business are the same thing in a way?
1: It depends on well, – so I would have said that in my past, yes, that was me. But now it's not.
0: Yeah, that's Even where for you the it. Oh, these I are own. separate. These are now separate.
1: Yep, exactly. And, and But it's still hard to separate a little bit. When, when you go to work every day organizing, running – you know, uh, operating a business, like you put yourself into that. Yeah. But when you're on, once you're on the sales side of things, once you're selling that business or the way private equity does, they're selling lots of businesses. You start to see it as another tool in your, in your toolbox. You know, it's just, it's just like, it's a car or a shovel or a hammer or a computer or a camera yeah. or a whatever. It's just another tool. And in this case, it's a tool to, to make money and to make your life good and to contribute value to the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how does kind of separating yourself in that way, you can still go inside of the business or out, be, look at it clinically, like you said, from the outside. What advantages does that give you or give anyone that sort of makes that, that upgrade?
1: I think it gives you a huge advantage. I, I think, so it, it's, it's really funny. My grandfather was the one that used to hammer this into me. He always said, don't fall in love with your businesses. Businesses are there to make you money and to make your life good. And I had, a, I, I, so many times I made the mistake of falling in love with my businesses. And when you make emotional decisions, a lot of times you're not making the right decision. And when you're able to really step away, and and put that that distance between you and your business, all of a sudden you can look at it, I said, from a distance. You can look at it like like a machine, not like a like a like a person. And you can you can make the changes that need to be made. Like a lot of times people people don't fire people because of their emotions. People you know people keep the wrong people in the wrong seats because of their emotions. People. Uh, invest in the wrong things because of their emotions, but once you're able to, to separate it and just look at it like just another object, you can you can make much more precise decisions about your business.
0: Yeah. So then, how would you how do you um, harmonize that with not with sort of the extreme of uh, going so far that you actually um, are callous to the people that your decisions affect. In other words, so, how do you ha- how do you have a balance between between that objectivity and also taking care of people? You know, it's um,
1: I've actually thought about this a number of times. It's a little bit paradoxical.
2: Yeah,
1: depends on how you look at it. So you can still have. I think you need to have uh, to be a great leader. You think you need to have empathy and you know be agreeable and be. Um, it be a lot of things to be a great leader. But you have to be able to connect with people. People are the, are the center of everything. At the same time, you have to do what's best for the business because the business is what's supporting those people and providing the value to other people. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's, it's really about being, being both at the same time, be, being yeah. that... Uh, you know, having that clinical look, and realizing that sometimes you have to make big cuts, and because if you don't make those cuts, every the whole thing dies, all of it dies, everything goes away. But if you know, it, it's 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 things like that that just um, that make it kind of paradoxical. Um, I wish I had a really good answer for you. You have to be both. You have to be clinical and empathetic at the same yeah. time.
0: Well, I guess one thing that does come to mind is is. You mentioned it's almost like uh the the um the emotion you talked about. If you're not look if you are looking at it emotionally, let, I'll take for example, in um was it twenty twenty one when all these tech companies were doing super successful and they hired all these people, which they've now laid off. In some senses I kinda wonder, did they were they not objective and clinical? They hired a bunch of people out of emotion and now they have to deal with the consequences of that, where if they had actually been more wise in in their in their approach they may have prevented that all along i don't know if that would be a good example of what you're describing or not but that came to mind i I don't
1: think so in this case because a lot of the the reason they did that was because of venture venture funding so a lot of these companies got venture capital and venture venture is all about growth it's all about increasing that valuation and so when you're trying to grow, what are you trying to do? You're trying to, to, to bring on more sales, more revenue. Uh, and so you invest heavily in your sales and your marketing, sometimes customer success, other kinds of departments that are customer-facing that are driving growth. But what happens is that you can only grow so fast. So mm-hmm. you get all this venture money. People, people are being pressured to grow as quickly as possible. But there's no way. like The market's not ready for it. And so they hire all these people – but they, can, they really only can take a certain number of people at one time, either either people that are hiring the wrong people, or even if they have great people, the market's just not ready for it. And mm-hmm. so they can't grow fast enough, and so they end up having to lay those people off. And in a lot of cases, they blown through a lot of the money that they probably shouldn't have blown through, and now they have to lay more people off. And I think that that was more of the reason that we saw these big, you know, the, the, these a lot of these companies, uh, startup companies especially, growing really, really fast, and then being cut, 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 cut back. I know that there's also a lot that happened in the um, in uh, larger organizations as well, having to do with uh, just kind of environmental forces. Uh, you know, high high liquidity market enables lots of money to come into the business, thus more hires, more spending, and then when, when liquidity drops. There's less demand, thus we need less people, et cetera. So I think it was kind of both of those factors together, yeah. depending upon whether you're talking about established businesses or or startup businesses.
0: Yeah. So I think what you're what you're adding is now a third a third layer, which is so you've got this your personal emotional connection or attachment, you have the business itself, and now you have this outside force. In this case, the private equity firms, which you had to deal with as well. And so now yes. uh, you're you're having the situation where you have this this outside force that has financial incentives to push you certain ways. Now you had to deal with that. They push you some ways that are actually going to hurt the business. And in, in the, the case example we're talking about here, but that also happened to you. So tell us some more about that. So
1: I, I had a lot of questions about the business. So yeah. anytime you're coming in as a CEO, you're paid based on the, the growth of this business and, and you have to have a certain like, there's a lot of ways it can be structured in your contracts. But basically you have to have enough money for you to get paid to, you know, to have your transaction bonus at the end of the deal. And so looking this over, I had a lot of questions. And really at the end of the day, I think that the private equity group that had made this purchase they it looked like a good purchase on the outside. And I understand why they did it. But when they did Dug into it, they realized that maybe they had bought more of a lemon than they thought. The the business that owned it previously had made some pretty substantial mistakes that weren't necessarily disclosed at the purchase. And so they kind of bought a lemon, and I, I, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly how that transaction happened or what exactly went into it, but there were some serious issues when I got the business that the private equity group was not aware of. And that and so was causing because, a lot of loss.
0: Yeah, so now they have a lot. Like, hey, we paid more for this than we should have. We need to get our yep. return. So they push exactly, for it. exactly. So like I said, I had a lot of questions about how how is this
1: going to work? Not just for them, but also for me. And so you know, where's the money going to come from? How are we going to grow revenue? What is what is the you know what systems are working? Or what systems aren't working? Um, is this even a viable project or, or product? And it, it was surprising to me how long it took just for those questions to get answered.
0: Like three years?
1: <laughs> like a year. I'd yeah. say a year to, to, like, which is, which frankly for, for doing CE, turnaround CEO work is far too long. Like, really, it's yeah. the kind of thing you need to figure out really before you take the gig. But, um, I didn't it was part of that because
0: started. it took a year because you have all these fires you're having to put out that you don't have time to actually get the answers to these questions that matter.
1: It was it was a year because there were a lot of a tremendous number of fires to put out, but then also because the finances for the company were not being um, reported properly. So it, it, it this had to do with once again the, the previous ownership or the trans, the transition from one owner to another, that um, it was not clear how much revenue was coming into this organization. And so they couldn't tell how much money they were making. They couldn't tell how much money they were losing. They hadn't been listing out cancellations over time. So, you know, people would cancel and they were still uh, uh, recording revenue for it, Uh, um, uh, um, recognizing revenue for it. And so... There was there was no way to tell because just the previous ownership hadn't hadn't been logging the stuff appropriately. There were there were all sorts of, of issues there. Um, a really good example of this is that when the transition from one company to another happened, they used to have every all the contracts in a giant folder, like a gigantic like thousands of pages in this giant folder or set of folders. When they were taking that to scan it and take it all digital, somebody dropped. The folder on the ground and contracts went flying everywhere. This was years before I got there, when they were doing the transaction he, or transition yeah. to the private equity group. And now we have thousands of pages that are not labeled. You can't tell which contract it goes to. And somebody just scooped them all back up, stuck them in the printer, and clicked scan.
0: <laughs> so you have and all so the contracts tell. that's intermixed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and the original contracts at this point are gone. There's, there's yeah. no way to find the originals. Yeah. All we have are these thousands of pages, which are, are a total jumble. And, and so we actually had two people spend six months reading contracts, trying to figure out how to organize them. Wow. Yeah. And then on top of that, and the, the real problem here is that the sales and finance teams had not been well connected over the course of about 10 years. And the sales team had been enabled, allowed to do, to act in a way that was not beneficial for the business. In that, they were doing deals where they were giving large discounts, and there was no oversight. And they were doing things where they bundled things together, but they didn't list what was being bundled. So, for example, like we would sell to a customer. Customer had facilities. Facilities had modules. The contract would just say, customer name, $10,000 per month. But it wouldn't say which facility had which modules. So let's say, or for example, they might say, customer name, five facilities, and then these five facilities get 10 of these modules, 10 of these, three of these, two of these, one of those. No indication of which thing went where. Five years later, that, that company sells three facilities, buys three facilities. They do it again. Buy another three, sell another five, do it again. And each one of these is just, was just an addendum contract that went on top. Then now, by the end, it was just saying $10,000. Customer is $10,000 per month. No indication of which modules, which facility, how much money, how much do we charge per module, any of that stuff. And so it was impossible to tell how much money we had coming in coming into the business? Uh, we, the, the only way to tell was actually call the customers in a lot of cases and ask them. But we signed contracts. How much are you paying
2: people.
1: us? <laughs> well, like what do you have? What are you using? <laughs> oh. But in a lot of cases, the people that signed the contracts signed it thirty years ago and are dead. And so it was a. Um, it took a long time to get that sorted out.
0: Yeah. And how come this company was not dead itself?
1: <laughs> it was on its way. It, it was uh, somebody. Somebody was um, nailing nailing nails in the coffin when I got there.
0: <laughs> you're like, wait a yeah, second. They, Let me take a look at this corpse before you bury it.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, now the, there there were two different executives on the on the in the C suite that debate the, both pulled me aside and they're like, look, this thing has got six months to a year before it's totally insolvent. We, if we lose another, if we have another year like last year where we lost our biggest customers, we're done. Like, that's it. If we can't, if you can't change the morale, if you can't change the culture, if you can't change the product, if you can't get customers to believe in this company again, it's done.
0: Yeah. Now, your background is in the product. It's the tech, it's building, you know, applications and, in software, um, and this company is based on a software, right? So tell us about that angle. Uh,
1: yeah, so I come from a software background. I, I've launched a number of SaaS businesses, uh, and also in healthcare, and this was a healthcare tech business. That said, I never run anything this size, um, but I had a pretty good stuff? idea. Uh, the business, when I got the business, it was a the first year I got it, it had recognized the previous year 7.2 million, but it had lost um, the better part of 30% by the time I got it. I, I got the business in July, very end of June or beginning of July uh, 2020. They had already lost a huge amount that year. And, and like I said, the previous year, they had recognized seven point two. But I want to say that by the end of that first year, we were on track to have recognized like Six, six point two, something like that, and then by by the time I got it stabilized, we were recognizing about five point
0: three million. And how many how many team members were there when you you
1: joined? You there? there were I want to say there was like uh, 70... seventy. Let's go sixty seven, some, something around there.
0: And how and then, then when I got done, there were forty one. 41. Okay, forty one. So over three years. Yep. And how many of those forty-one were part of the seventy? Uh,
1: the vast majority. We, I tried to keep as many people as possible. We did have some people that needed to go. I um, I didn't I didn't really want to let people go. I, you know, the the goal was not to um, to come in and cut 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 cut. The goal was to, to save the business and save the people. And and at the end of the day, I really feel like that's what we did. We took the vast majority of people um, that were that were able to save, and we delivered them to a company that was gonna keep them around and continue employing them ongoing for a long time and help that yeah. business grow to be a real real force in the industry.
0: Yeah, and so how much of, um, so I guess on in terms of the technology itself, what was the application like when you got in?
1: Extremely difficult to use. Um, it was built for nurses and it's interesting because I, I, I talk to a lot of nurses, and nurses would tell me that they, they know what good software is because they have it on their phones. But in the industry, they're used to using terrible software. And so in a lot of cases, they were just kind of used to this stuff. And I felt like that was something that needed to change in the industry. And that was actually a big change that we made, is we brought in a team of senior UX designers and front-end developers to come in and help revamp the entire front end of the product. And it was a five year roadmap to do that. Uh, we got about three years into that roadmap. And we ended up having to extend it out a little bit, especially in a few specific areas. Uh, and it would probably end up being more like a 2030 roadmap by the time we really, really got everything done. But um, I felt like we were making great progress uh, as we, as we uh, in those first two years.
0: Yeah. And was it like as messy as you described those contracts in terms of how do you even figure out what, how this application was developed so that you can change it?
1: <laughs> this was a monster-sized product. This is a product that at one point was probably being worked on by a 100, 100 dev team. It, it used to be a very large company. And so it was a massive, massive system and had been cut down to bare-bones uh, bare de- development staff about 30 people all together on the production side of the company. So everything from technical writing to development to QA, all of that. And um, the people that we had were absolutely top-notch. They were, they were fantastic. And so they were hesitant, I think, to let a new guy in uh, who wanted to go and change a bunch of stuff. But after they saw the power of, of design thinking and uh, usability, they jumped on it. And, it. and it made a huge difference in the, in the product uh, and in the team. And does that, yeah. does that answer your question? I don't know if I clearly got to the answer there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I guess in terms of, in, in some ways, you have the product as a problem, and then you also have the people there that are maybe, are they in survival mode and they're sort of holding on to it? Is that kind of what you're ta- describing?
1: They didn't realize Protected. where they were. Now, now it, it, what they, they, had been, they had been in a bubble. Like th- this was a company that did not talk about the status of the company with its employees. Like this was a big change that I made is that everybody, uh, I would take anybody who wanted through the books whenever they wanted. Uh, every single week, we talked about how much money we had, how much, what our revenue looked like, what our expenses looked like, all of that stuff. Every single week with the entire business, we talked about that. Uh, we talked about it extensively within the leadership team, which is something that they had never done before. And so um, they didn't know where they were. They, they didn't know where the business was. One of the first things I did is I presented, this is, this is where we stand in the market. And people actually, people on the team messaged me and they are like, I thought we were a lot bigger. We used to be 50% of the market. Mm-hmm. You're telling me now we're less than 2%? I was like, yeah, that's exactly where you stand. And they're like, oh, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, so they, they so they had assumed it was just where it used to be, and it had. But I think
1: that everybody knew it was smaller, but they didn't know how small it had gotten, how much this company had shrunk. Mm.
0: Well, that's interesting because the specifics matter, right? And you talk about yep. all the little things adding up. So, t- talk more about that. Oh well, wow. uh, yeah,
1: the specifics matter. Like th- th- this. Business is the, the the sum of its parts. You know, like it, it's it's the people, it's the processes, it's the management, it's it's the money, it's the finance systems, it's all of these different things. I actually have an entire structure that I use that take that breaks down all the different parts of that that business. Actually, I have a slide on it. Um, yeah, yeah. pull it up. Well, one second. I close it. Oh, here it is. Give me one sec. I'll share it. Let me find what I did with it. Here we go. Yeah, this is the the business operating support structure. Boss. So mission, yeah. vision, values, data, and, uh, analytics, and data, people, and culture, procedures, processes, and policies, money and finance, execution and accountability. It's all a business is all of these different parts. Yeah. And when I'm looking at a business and looking at how how to fix these things, I have a set of questions I ask myself about every different part. Uh, of each one of these items. Each one of these items can be broken down into a set of questions and, uh, or, or statements and whether the company has them or not. And, um, and that's what's, what I looked at is I, I went through all of these different pieces. And uh, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll actually go through and figure out, like I'll uh, ask the questions for the, te- for the team members or if I'm coaching somebody, I have a questionnaire for them. And it builds out a spider chart that shows yeah. me exactly where the company is strong right. and where the company is weak.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So talk about the vision, mission, values in terms of did the company have that when you went in? Was it clarified and was it even relevant anymore?
1: There there was no mission, there was no vision, there was no values. None of these things existed in the organization when I got there. Um, It was... um,
0: Had it ever existed?
1: I think they had it at the top level, but I don't think that they... One, they didn't know what it was. They didn't pay attention to it. Like nobody, if, if you asked anybody on the team, they couldn't tell you what their mission, vision, or, or what their mission, vision, or values were. Uh, I don't believe they had, uh, I think they had a mission statement, but like I said, nobody knew what it was. Uh, they definitely didn't have a set of values uh, that was stated. You know, this is, this is something that's important. If a company's been around for a long time, they have a set of values it just a lot of times hasn't been vocalized. And part of coming in as a CEO is helping them understand what their own values are. Especially, you know, this was a company full of great people. They had great values. They have great values. Um, when I came into this, a lot of what I did was just help them get it get it on paper and make yeah. sure that everyone agreed and um, everybody understood it. You know, the, the, the values of a business are critically important because... The values are what you hire and fire on, and if, um,
0: if well, you, you can't, don't know what that your last mission or execution, execution accountability, you can't do it without that first one.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: But you, you, so you so, went. I, I mean, Matt, you you walked into massive confusion, is <laughs> what like a a cloud of confusion, and that's what it sounds like you're you were trying to sort of tease out, get clarity, okay, on this piece, on this piece.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, I wouldn't call it confusion. I I would actually call it they didn't know where they were going. They didn't have a direction. And so they had no way to get there. It it wasn't, like, the, the people doing their jobs were not necessarily confused. They had been doing these jobs for a long time. The average, the average person there was something like fifty-five years old, and they had been working in this business for a very long time. And they knew they knew their job very well, but there had been no leadership over the business, over the organization, and so the, the there was no direction. There were, it was it was a rudderless ship, and and that was the problem.
0: Yeah. So people doing their roles, but they're all kind of paddling against each other instead of in unison towards the, the vision. Exactly. They,
1: they were, in some cases, they were absolutely paddling against each other. And in some cases, they were paddling together. But where were they going? Nobody knew.
0: Yeah. yeah. We're going in circles, <laughs> right? Exactly.
1: And, and, and very much, they were going in circles. So they didn't, they, they had people in the wrong places, uh, you know, on, their, on this ship. They had people that didn't belong there and needed to move on. Uh, they had people that had moved on that took tr- uh, critical tribal knowledge with them. It was really hard to get back. And in fact, we ended up going back and, and reemploying some of those people that had left that brought back huge ma- amounts of knowledge mm-hmm. with them. Uh, some of the problems there was that there were no uh, business basics pieces. Actually, let me go back to my business basics slides. So. Uh, Per what we were saying, they didn't have a value proposition. They didn't know what they were providing. They didn't have a mission, vision, and values. They didn't have SOPs. Different departments had SOPs in certain ways, but in many cases, they were very disorganized. Uh, In a lot of cases, it's just because people had been there forever, and they didn't feel like they needed it, and there was no push to have it. And so one of the first things I did was bring in an SOPs system and help everybody get into that system. There was no task management. People would give each other tasks, and then um, you know, I would I would email people and be like, hey, can you take care of this for me? And it would just go away. It was just gone. There was no, no way to manage and track those tasks. So I brought in task management, team communications. They were communicating everything over Skype when I got there, which was not an efficient system to use. Yeah. Like and chat so or video we, or both? Both, but there was no... Um,
0: there was no, no way to
1: do that. groups, and there was you know there was not the good structure. There's no recording of this. There was no way to, to connect it to things. It was, um, and then different people used different things too. Some people wouldn't use it at all, and so you know they just sent things to email. If some people just called each other, so we set up standardized team communications. In this case, using Microsoft Teams. Uh, I prefer Google products, but uh, this this was a company that had been on, on Microsoft for many years. And yeah. it, it was it was not feasible to take them off of that.
0: Yeah. So yeah, this is this is interesting because yeah, those business basics. I think um, you know, I guess for you and I, these seem obvious in a lot of ways. But if you're just a person in a role in a company, and you don't you're not thinking this way, you're you use what's available to you. Is that pretty much what happened, or what was no one said? You know, exactly maybe There's a better happened. way.
1: Uh, people have been doing it for so long that I think that they had just gotten used to it. There were definitely people in the company that knew that there was a better way, but <clears throat> it, remember that it also came from being a very large company, a very siloed company and a very hierarchical company. So people didn't feel like they had the right to, to put their hand up and say, we need to make a change. Because I, I have this feeling that that previous uh, previous administrations for people that had said hey this isn't working those people's got those people got their heads chopped off and so mm-hmm. everybody that so was remaining was quickly. like exactly we're not we're not putting our heads up we're not saying anything this is the way it is and I'm fine with that
0: yeah and so how did it, you it, it, help how did you help them overcome that uh, timidity.
1: Oh man, this was, uh, this took a while. It, it was particularly hard because you know, I was the younger guy coming in and I think there was and you know, I was a younger guy, I was one of many CEOs that have been through and uh, the, the lack of trust in senior leadership was extremely low. So what I did is I tried to, to lead by, by, lead by example first off, so show up to everything, be everywhere, meet with everyone have conversations about more than just business about people about you know about people's families about their lives about you know forming real relationships with people not just not just pushing the business forward and then um understand understand what the problems in the business were what was holding people back slowly start to to dissolve those walls and those silos and build trust through education Uh, You know, I have a lot of experience over the past 25 years building a lot of businesses and bringing those new ideas into this business and showing people how those new ideas would work for the business really made an enormous difference in their trust because they got to see, you know, like I would come in, I would make a change and they'd say, oh, well that's the thing we've been asking for and he brought things to it that I didn't even know existed and it's working and if it wasn't working, we changed it and changed it fast. Uh, That that's what built trust. Making people's lives better, making people's jobs easier, that builds trust.
0: Yeah. And I guess part of what you're describing in the education is is transparency, right? You're demonstrating, you're saying something, you're demonstrating it, and then you're showing the outcomes. You're not a black box, right? Yep.
1: Not only a, not a black box, like I said, we're, we're talking about the numbers. We're talking about things, that, the, the books. We're talking about things that the rest of the team had never had access to. No one had ever thought to give them access, never wanted to give them access. And now not only was I giving them access, but I was making them look at it. And all of a sudden, I think they felt more in control as well. Hmm. Because they knew through looking at the numbers and having very clear goals it made sense as to how we were driving things up through the business. Actually, here I've got a picture here. Um, <coughs> one of our... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. One of our goal sheets right here. This is kind of the new and improved version. We would set up goal sheets where people could see the, the goals the company had and then the implication that had on the revenue, on the expenses, and on the growth of the business. And all of a sudden, people felt in control. They felt in control, and they understood what success looked like for them within their role and what success looked like for the business holistically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: So... So yeah, so it it you know it made it made a big difference. And I and I had a lot of uh a bunch of lessons learned on that as well. If you want me to go through some of them.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, but first before we do that, um what would you say to that person that is in this kind of context of of distrust and they're scared to be transparent about it in the way that you're describing because it's not good. What what would People you tell were- that leader?
1: The leader of the people, let's say a new leader coming in, or a leader that's leading a team that has grown to tr- distrust that person. I'm thinking or, the latter. Or, or one if you want players. to share
0: both, that would be be fine too.
1: So, somebody coming in, you know, it, it's at the at the end of the business. So, when I exited the business, the team put together this really really amazing PowerPoint for me. It wasn't PowerPoint, it was a presentation. It was a, um, a video that they did where everybody got together and they shot clips of the things they learned from me. The things that I taught them or the things that I inspired them on, the, the things that that made them feel good about working with me. And they, it, was, it, was a, it was like a 30-40 minute clip uh, video with all of these clips of all these different people saying things. But there was, there was one person I didn't see in that clip, uh, in, that, in that video, and he had actually sent me an email separately. And he said, look, he said, you know, I, I, I had some personal things I wanted to say to you, and I, I, didn't, I didn't feel comfortable having it just out in front of everybody. And he had, uh, his name is was, was Neil Cox, and he had some of the kindest, best words for me, um, some of the most meaningful words for me. Uh he talked about how one of the things that he really liked he talked about a lot of things, but one of the things he really liked was that he said he felt like for the first time in his entire career in like let's say thirty years, um, he had a leader that would talk to him about his kids.
2: Hmm.
1: He had a leader that that didn't just ask about goals. But wanted to know about his history and about his life and about his family. He had a leader that had an open door policy where he could call at any time and and have a conversation. And maybe maybe you couldn't call me right on the phone and just talk to me right then, but um, you know, schedule time because everybody's busy. But that always was interested in talking, and that if some, if he had a problem, would listen. And, um, you know, it would direct things the right way because sometimes it needs to go through as manager, but I was always there to, to listen and to talk and to be a real person, not just the, a figurehead at the top of the organization. And so there's a lot that goes into to answering that question, but I think that actually caring about people is at the core of it.
0: Yeah. And so, well, what if someone says is like, "Well, I do care about people, but I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I don't want to, uh, you know, maybe they're in survival mode with that, or is maybe what maybe that's a cover story? They're they're not really caring about people."
1: Well, I mean, sometimes sometimes great businesses or good businesses, maybe not great businesses, but good businesses can still get into survival mode. Environments can change, you know, like like with the rise of the internet, lots of businesses went out of business you know, with, with the changing, uh, just the environment shifts and great business models no longer exist. Uh, you know, yeah. things that like magazines, we're not selling things through magazines anymore. Uh, yeah. Not very much, at least.
2: <clears throat> yeah.
1: And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's totally possible for, for good businesses, great businesses to, to, to run into survival mode. Uh, I think that transparency still has to be metered though, because you have to give people as much as they can handle. And knowing what they can handle and what they can't handle is maybe one of the, those difficult jobs that a CEO has. You know, you can't tell everybody everything. There, there were so many times during this, this, this story where I would call the COO and I'd be like, I don't know what we're going to do. I am... Like, our back is against the wall. We don't have any money coming in. We got problems. Private equity is breathing down our neck. We've got, you know, our clients are pissed. We have have serious problems. The business wasn't dying, but we had problems. We had a plan. So what what we did, we put together a plan to start dealing with it. What we did for, for the team is we presented the plan. We presented, everybody knew there was a problem. Maybe they didn't know how bad the problem was, but what they did know is that we're working on solving the problem. And there are times when you have to come out and say, "Hey, look, we got serious problems right now, and we need everybody to buckle down." But if you do that too much, all of a sudden people start leaving. Like, what you can't do is have people be scared. You know, you have you have people have to feel strength and leadership because if you don't they'll start bailing and then you yeah. have you have way more serious problems
0: yeah so let's. And, and that's a the, fine line to walk yeah well discerning the difference between what to say and what not to and i think part of it is if you if you have a healthier business and you have that as a practice you never get to the point where you have to to do that because you're always sharing along the way so it's it, it, it kind of as a natural or progression, whereas when you're in the middle of a catastrophe, it's it's a little different. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um, and yeah, sometimes you look into the abyss and it stares back, right? So, yeah, it does. So yeah. let's jump into some of the lessons learned and walk through those.
1: I I had, so it, it every actually let me go back a little bit here. So, if you take a look these were the major changes we did in the business. So starting in June, 2020, we implemented business basics, the stuff that we were just talking about. September, 2020, we started going into people and culture, making people shifts, you know, cutting some people, uh, moving people around, hiring a number of people, uh, filling roles. Uh, uh, We started early working on product and churn, but it was really like um, there was a lot of, preparation before we really got going on it. We really got going on it around January, 2021 hmm. marketing did and reputation you, also got going in 2021.
0: Yeah. Did, did you find that, did you find that do making changes and, and like moving in the right direction actually made things worse right away in some ways? No. Uh, okay. Like you all of we, a sudden we, you're we kind that. of talking about things and then people <clears> are like, well, I guess if we're reconsidering our service, we might as well leave now. <laughs> Um, you know, do you just start to trigger people thinking about things because you're now thinking about those things, right?
1: So the gentleman I was talking about that gave me that, that this extremely meaningful, um, video at the end, end, of my tenure at that business, um, he brought up something I didn't even realize. He said that when, when I joined the business, about half of the staff, was considering bailing. Just mm. and I mean these are people who've known each other for many, many, many years. They were talking about this. They were talking about just being done. Just just it was a lot of cases retiring uh, and just being done. And I think that that initial transparency and that that energy that's a, a big shift in the energy of the business was was what gave people enough hope to stick around long enough to see how things really did change.
0: In did fact, that include clients or just the staff?
1: Uh, definitely included clients. Absolutely yeah. included clients.
0: Uh, in,
1: in fact, during the time that we were there, we only had two people leave. Uh, one because he retired, and another woman because she, she had been doing this role for a very long time and she was just ready to go do something else.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. So continue with your timeline. Yep. So
1: uh, in January twenty twenty one, we worked on. We started working on reputation and management. March, we started working on the sales really hard. Finance. Uh, t- January twenty twenty two, we really started working on finance. And August twenty three, we sold the business. So that takes us down to lessons <laughs> learned from our business basics, which were. Uh, implementing systems like EOS, which is the entrepreneurial operating system from Traction, OKRs from Measure What Matters, or my system, BOSS, uh, it takes three quarters to fully implement this stuff. Uh, A lot of people think that you can get it done pretty quickly, but it really takes a minimum of three quarters, very often a full year, to really get it done. Um, something, Something that I knew, but I didn't really realize how much until I came into an organization like this, is that people know... The bad apples, and they really appreciate it when you get rid of them. Like this, this was something like I think everybody kind of knows, but a lot of times, a lot of times, business leaders they're hesitant to remove people. They they have a hard people in general have a hard time firing people, and um, once you do coming into an organization like this, all like, that's actually something that drives a lot of respect as well. Is when you remove the bad apples and you open the gates for people to do their work. And that was yeah. something I didn't realize how much that made a difference until I came into this
0: organization. Yeah, especially, um, I guess, bad apples that also have authority as well. Exactly. That, that, was, that was exactly it. Uh, and yeah. fortunately,
1: I was in a spot where we implemented systems that allowed, them, uh, that allowed those people to realize that they weren't a good fit for this business anymore, and, and so they smart. stepped out themselves. Uh, yeah. We didn't have to really make a lot of fires – to, to do that. We, we had a number of people just decide that this was not the right business for them mm-hmm. and and leave.
0: Yeah. Accountability will do that, right? <laughs> and,
1: and that was exactly what it was. People were suddenly being held accountable that had never been held accountable. And they realized that maybe that wasn't for them. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So next up, D- but that said, don't listen to everyone without investigating. We have one mm-hmm. person Who multiple people told me this guy is just a bad apple. He doesn't. He's not doing anything. He's not. You know. He's not doing a good job. And upon investigation, it turned out he was actually one of the only guys in that department that really did know what they were doing. And he was just he was a squeaky wheel because he saw all the problems and he couldn't fix them himself. And he was just screaming about fixing the problems. And people didn't like to hear him screaming. And so they 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 saw that as being. A problem when in reality Mm -hmm. he was he was one of the the reasons that that entire Mm -hmm. department got fixed
0: yeah and were they problems themselves the people that were pointing to him yeah
1: yeah there were other people in the department that were definitely problems so but that said um, we cleared that department out pretty quickly and um, eventually I want to say he was the only one from that entire department who ended up staying on with the business. We we wow. filled that the rest of that de- department.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, consistent messaging. This was something else. We talked about how the like, nobody in the business could tell me what the business did. In a lot of cases, what we realized is that nobody had a consistent message about what the business did. And this is something that I that when I start looking at it for other complex businesses, you start seeing this more and more. Is that. Um, if you don't have consistent messaging about what your business does, different employees will tell you different things. In the same way, like if you don't have mission, vision, and values, you don't have a good culture, people will act in ways that you don't want them to act because there's, the culture is not there. The same thing applies to how people um, explain what your product is or services and what it does. And so we put together a consistent me- messaging package and we distribute it across the business and we quiz people on it and it made a difference in the in, in a big difference in the the way customers saw us. And then this was we talked a lot about this the difference between management and leadership. This team had been managed but not led, hmm. and <clears throat> it was like really clear when culture. you see a team. Say it again.
0: Like a management culture. We're just keeping ourselves busy.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, to some extent. Well, there was good management in place, but once again, there was no goal that they were reaching for. Yeah. They, had, they had systems. Sometimes the systems didn't work, uh, but they did have systems, but they didn't have direction. And I think that, that seeing the effect of that on a company that was so um, lost really it's it it really struck a chord with me seeing how how a company that was lost could so quickly redirect itself and start steering in the right direction once it had leadership
0: yeah in other words they were hungry for it they, were. Like, they were they
1: were yeah. so hungry I, I have a slide i don't think we're going to get to that talks about <clears throat> the development team how the average the average, average developer i want to say was 60 years old and I talked to a number of consultants coming in, coming into this, and they said, hey, you know, maybe this team is too old, or, you know, you're going to have to make changes there. And I said, I, I don't think so. These guys know what they're doing. And what I realized very quickly was that um, th- those developers really, really wanted to learn new stuff. They wanted to make a difference. They wanted mm-hmm. to make changes. And they had just they had been begging for it for years and years and years and years. And as soon as you just opened the door, they jumped on it. And they, yeah. they, they made those changes really, really quickly.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Let
1: me see. I got another one. Nope. The next goes into people and culture.
0: Oh, okay. Are the, So are, do you have more lessons learned on that on other topics or? For each one of those different time uh, sections, I have lessons learned on each one of those. Okay. Well, where do you want to jump to next? Uh, you know, what do you think let's... is uh, worth highlighting? We kind of talked about a lot of these.
1: Yeah, we, um, let's go to pe- lessons learned on people and culture. We didn't really go into all the problems there, but we went into a fair number of them. So, culture a culture change requires trust and accountability, it's sometimes threats and sometimes examples. Um, I I don't think it's a really good or nice thing to make examples of people, but if in the in this situation where you're in the middle of a raging battle you have you you know days count it's not like you have years to make changes and things can move slowly the way that this company was used to doing days counted and so sometimes we had I had to make threats and sometimes I had to make examples and i I'll give you a good example of that um there were a number of people when I got there. Like I said, they, they didn't have a, uh, a task management system. And so when I got there, what I realized is that people would email each other asking for help with something, and no one would ever respond to them. The person they had emailed would just never respond. They didn't happen all the time, but it happened on a very regular basis. That was part of the culture of that business. And I think it had to do, yeah, it just, like, things would just disappear all the time. And so after, I don't know, it must have been two weeks-ish, three weeks, something like that, maybe a month, I got on a, an all-hands meeting and I said, listen, if I send you an email, you need to respond to it. If your teammate sends you an email, you need to respond to it. If you don't respond to my email, I'll fire you. And, and if you don't respond to your teammates' emails, I'll fire you respond to your, your everybody's emails. Mm. This is this is not a threat. This is yeah. this is a fact. It's not a bluff. That's sorry. There's not a bluff. Yeah. Like this is I was like listen, we cannot have this anymore as of today it changes.
0: Well, it was, it was a toxic behavior that had to require a shock to change. Exactly. It, right? And and it
1: changed, it changed immediately. That mm. said, we also Helped people by giving them access to a task management system and training them on it, and that was part of that talk. It was like, listen, this can't ever happen anymore. If I send you an email, you don't have to respond today. You don't have to respond in five minutes. You don't respond immediately. You can respond next week, but you've got to respond. And if it's yeah. time sensitive, you need to respond by the time that thing is happening within reason. Like, we're not. If I send you something at ten o'clock at night, you don't need to get back to me until you get in in the morning and you get to work and all of that. We want to have. Um, a good work environment. We want to have a good work-life balance, but we need to have, we need, you know, people have to be responsive. And so we had to make some examples, some threats like that and some examples and people got it pretty fast and they they changed pretty fast. Um, like I said, it's not, I wouldn't say you need to go in and chop heads right away. Yeah. But sometimes you've got to really, you know, you got to make a threat and be serious about it. Yeah. Um, we already talked about gaining, uh, I, I gained trust by, by leading by example and meeting with every person, like being, being in lots and lots and lots of meetings and having people realize that I was everywhere, that if something wasn't going right, I was going to see it. There was no escaping from that. And yeah. that um, that made a big difference pretty fast. Yeah. And then let's see, next up, um, hope for a brighter future may have been the best thing I gave the frontline workers. Like I said, we had a, a, um, we had a lot of people that were looking at bailing in the business. And really what they needed was hope. It was yeah. just hope that things were going to be okay. And it's something they hadn't had in a long time. They had had a, a I would say, questionably kind of toxic culture in the business. and I, In fact, I, I don't even say it was questionable. A number of people told me they had a, a toxic culture in the business. And a uh, very low morale. And when they saw morale was changing, when they saw hope, that's what helped them stick around.
0: And I think that's what you said there, I think is the key. When they saw evidence of, of yep. change, it wasn't that you came in and yep. said, I'm, I've got this correct, right future. And then they got hopeful. It's when they saw the change.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and actually, let me speak on that. It's not just about talk. It's about, it's about real change. It's about making a difference. It's about people seeing it. You know, Even those, those things about making an example. I, I know that there were a lot of people in that business that were really frustrated that they would try to get things done and, and emails would just disappear. Tasks would disappear. And of course they were upset. And so having, having the leader get on, the, on in front of everyone and say, it ends today, right now, this minute. If you're not doing this again, you have a conversation with me, if you, it happens after that, you're done. And all of a sudden, it's done. And people are like, okay, there's change. That's hope right there.
0: Mm. So even those little things can make a big difference then. Oh, yeah.
1: Make a huge yeah. difference. All right, what do I got? Um, don't chop heads right away. Um, sometimes you got you to gotta make personnel changes. But um, I've made the mistake in the past of, of chopping heads right away. And, and it was a big mistake. It was a really big mistake. In this case, I did not do that, and uh, I tried to keep as many people for as long as possible. In some cases, even cases, even underperformers, just to make one hundred percent sure before we before we did have to remove them. But yeah. um, I felt like that was something that that maybe I'd done in the past that I, I tried not to do as much this time, which I felt like made it made a difference. Yeah, um, I already talked about this about being present. Be present. appear to be everywhere in the beginning. Um, this way, people people can't escape. And it was. It took a lot of time and it was tough, but man, I feel like it really made a difference. And then the last, is the last one. I see. No, I got two more. Uh, hold people publicly accountable. You know, you want people to straighten up. Hold them publicly accountable. This is something that those goals do. We put in place those a goal sheet that every single person in the entire company could see. And was required to see every single week. And if you saw the same people not meeting their goals over and over and over again, you knew where the problems were. Or or maybe it wasn't always a person problem. Sometimes it was a policy problem or a process problem or an environment problem. But you saw how things were changing quickly. And all of a sudden, with a a publicly available and enforced accountability system, um, people couldn't hide. Yeah. They couldn't escape from, from accountability, not just from me, but from everybody. And yeah, so because peers. of that, everyone straightened up. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to make sure to say, there were people that were doing a great job at this business. I don't want to say like everybody was failing and you know anything like that. There were people that were working super hard, but there were also people that weren't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this helps give clarity on where that distinction was. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then that, that point I brought up earlier, when you do remove bad apples, people will appreciate you for it. Yeah. Cause yeah. people know, people know where the, where the problems lie.
0: Yeah. But in this case, it sounds like those people left, um, on their own for the most part. Uh, some of them, but not all of them. Not all of them. Yeah. Not all of them. <clears throat> Did you have, um, any resistance from individuals or groups of people like kind of? Pushing back against your authority? Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> How'd you navigate that? We,
2: it,
1: it just takes time. I I, I understood. I, I understood why they were hesitant. I understood. Like I said, I was the, the sixth guy in six years. Of course they were hesitant. Of course they're going to push back. They, but there were there was one. Um, it, it was it was actually also really meaningful to me because. Uh, at the, it wasn't even the end. It was it was kind of halfway through, at least, because he was a C-suite employee who really did not understand the value of UX, user experience, mm-hmm. and and he was on the, the technical side, and he was very very hesitant to to want to implement. He wasn't fighting me, but he was hesitant to implement the kinds of things that I wanted to do on the product side of the business on the UX side and on the front end development side. And, and he came to me about halfway through my tenure there. And he said, look, it's like, I, I really didn't understand what you were getting at. And, you know, the education you gave me in this really changed my mind. And I, I see the power of it now. And I just want you to know it was, it was absolutely the right decision. And, um, And I appreciate you telling me, you know, teaching me all of this stuff. And, and I think, you know, once again, like it was all about education and helping people grow. And that's, that's how I gained trust. And that's how the company was able to, to thrive.
0: So what, and for a lot of these people, they were, their employees. They're getting their, they're getting their salary or whatever. Right. But before you come in, they're getting paid. Then you come in, they're still getting paid, but there's a, Like from a from a self interest standpoint, they're 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 making their money, right? How would you distinguish between the two the two of them? Like, what was it that the second that they had after you left versus what they they had um, before you got there? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I I think uh, it's kind of a I, I think it goes back to hope. It's not just hope. At, at the end, I mean, we, they, like, at the beginning, we, we clearly painted the picture of where the business was. We talked about the growth or, and decline of the business every single week. People saw, they no longer saw a rosy picture of where we were, they saw a realistic picture of where we were painted against the background of hope. That even though the business was still doing this, especially in the beginning, that there was a brighter future for the business, and that we were going to have to go down through it to come back up and get get to the get to that brighter future. But they saw
0: that path,
2: yeah.
0: And, and once but they why, saw it,
2: yeah,
1: yep. well, why did but they why?
0: care about that future?
1: Why? Why did people in the business care about the future of the business?
0: Yeah,
1: because because I mean, they, they could go wanted, work at some
0: other. Company, Right. And move on. I'm, but I'm just kind of trying to tease out what, what
1: I, I understand because people want their organization to do a good job. They, they, mm-hmm. they, this is a company that they have been with in many cases for 20 plus years. It was their home. It was it was, you know, it, it was it was all of their friends. It was their, you know, it was, it was safety to them in a lot of cases. It's what they did every day for their lifetimes. And of course, like they, they, they bought in on it. They believed in the future of it and they believed in the power of that team and the power of that product. And what the company did is something that I, I actually told them, uh, every, every week we had a, um. Every week, I would put on a presentation called "This Week at Experience Care," where we would talk about the numbers and the growth and all these other things about the business. But at the end, I would uh, I would note people's birthdays and people's work anniversaries. And if it was your birthday, I would get out my ukulele and I would sing you "Happy Birthday."
2: <laughs>
1: and the people. When it was people's work anniversaries, what I talked about was that this was a life well-lived. This is something worth doing. This, that company uh, is a company that provides software for the most fragile people in the entire country. It's, it's software that supports them, provides for them, makes sure they get the right medicines, tries to cut down the amount of time it takes nurses to input documentation so that nurses can spend time with with, uh, people in those facilities. That's something important. That's something worth doing with your life. It's something that impacts millions of people and every single day makes a difference in somebody's life. It may not make a difference in a way that they can directly see, but every second a nurse gets to spend holding somebody's hand, holding somebody's hand as they die, or being with their family, or taking care of somebody in pain is a second that counts, is a second that makes a difference. And we give those seconds back to those nurses. And everybody knows that that's something worth doing.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up here.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. I have tons more in that. my uh, lessons learned <laughs> area, but I know we've been talking for a long time, so uh, yeah, happy, well, to, I, I, happy I, I, to talk more about it if you're interested.
0: Yeah, yeah. For, well, pe- how, If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about this, where can, uh, if they want to keep going, like, like you could go for weeks or months on this topic, um, where do they go? So
1: right Maybe. now you can go to ascendance.coach. However, I'm going to be digging into all of these lessons learned, putting together more and more PowerPoints, more and more presentations, more, uh, more spreadsheets, more Word documents, more worksheets, all sorts of things in 2024 under the Ascendant brand, and I'm going to have a YouTube channel where we're going to go through all of that. I haven't launched it yet, but you can go to ascendance.coach and you can get on my uh, newsletter and I will let you know when it comes out. All of this content is going to be free. It's important for me to be able to teach these things to business owners across the country and across the world because I think it adds value to so many people in so many different ways for business owners to understand the best ways to run their businesses. And so that, that, all of that information will be coming out on YouTube and on the website in 2024 and I'd love to have you on my list.
0: Sounds good. And then are you on social media anywhere that, uh, where you're most active?
1: You can get me on LinkedIn. Just, right. um, I think it's Jason M. Long 1.
0: All right. We'll put a link in the notes. And Well, thank you so much, Jason, for sharing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's great to talk to you again. And thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.